And we're back on Fictional Frontiers. I'm your host, Sohei Bawan. Each week here on Fictional Frontiers, we cover the best in pop culture entertainment, quote-unquote. Actually, the most noteworthy is the best way to put it, I would say, because so much of pop culture, so much of genre entertainment is about rankings and ratings and all this stuff, and it's all subjective. I would say what we're going to say from now on with our intro is that we cover the most noteworthy in entertainment. That's what we try to do here at Fictional Frontiers. We're not going to try to cover the quote-unquote the best because there is no such thing as the best, really. Um, It's all subjective. And as far as the award shows are concerned, the Academy Awards and the like, that's definitely the case. And we've seen it again and again and again. And we're going to talk about... um, Andrea Riseborough and to Leslie, the controversy surrounding that. And I'm going to talk to James Berardinelli, uh, the founder of RealViews.net, next week about that because we were going to have him on, but my schedule has gotten really tight because I've had, uh, you know, so much of a recovery to some degree uh, as far as COVID is concerned. And because of that, I'm trying to make up for lost time doing a lot of other things that I've been trying to do for some time uh, that I just couldn't do because my voice wasn't there. <laughs> so. We'll cover all that next week uh, with him in further detail because I definitely want to get his take on, you know, so much of uh, all this. And uh, with respect to so much of this, the award stuff and the nominations, the Oscars and all this, I really feel to a huge degree there is an elitism mindset or elitist mindset that's at play here because critics and filmmakers television producers they all want to feel like they are the champions of art to some degree or they're doing something that's you know greater than anything else that anyone else is doing that they are champions of high culture so to speak and so mainstream projects are not really tied to that notion because most of entertainment at this point in uh, modern film production, television like, is really defined by commercial success. It all comes down to the bottom line. That's why so many incredible stories don't get sequels or they're just canceled right in midstream. Uh, Or maybe there are stories that could be told or crossovers or whatever that could happen. But too many different commercial elements come into play and they don't want to give that up. People don't want to give up anything for nothing, right? Even if the fans or the consumers want it, If there's not profitability there for them, they're just not going to do it. And so much of art in the past was not for that reason. As a matter of fact, I was talking to, excuse me, a couple uh, Muslim theologians about that. And art was actually a celebration of the divine, is what it was. And it was also a reflection of the blessings of this life in so many ways. So that was at the heart of so much of what they produce. That's why you see... So many pieces of architecture from the Ottoman Empire, from Uzbekistan, from uh, Pakistan, from Malaysia. You look at a lot of the architecture from that time period, Andalusia, uh, Spain. It's stood the test of time because it was trying to say something. It was not driven by um, this notion of profitability, trying to get something out as soon as possible to make as much money as possible in the short term. And... You know, so many things are going to impact that notion moving ahead. Next week, I'll talk to James about AI because I think AI is going to change the world uh, for good or for bad. And one of the reasons why it's being so embraced is not because of some altruistic 
motivation. It's more than anything else about making as much money as possible. That's really what's at the heart of so much of the AI movement and actually the technology involved with it, among other things. It doesn't matter whether a lot of people are going to be losing their jobs. It doesn't matter whether or not it's not pure uh, creative effort. It's just a mashing together of numbers and symbols and algorithms and the like. As long as it can produce something quickly and cheaply, that's what's most important for so many of these people. And it's very unfortunate because, again, that's part of that whole machine related to Hollywood and publishing and television that's tied to this notion of profitability. Profitability before anything else. And so I feel like that was the impetus to some degree for the movement we seen we have seen in film and in television as far as film critics and even talents as well, that they're pushing back against that. But at the same time, because they have not really looked at things with nuance and they've simply labeled anything that's successful commercially as low fare that's just being produced for profitability when maybe it's just embraced by the masses and so it's something that people just love it has nothing to do with commercial viability they've kind of conflated the two and so that's led to where we are today as far as the award shows are concerned and i think that james and i he mentioned something in his patreon i want to talk to him about that next week about the whole awards uh, season and the phenomenons re- related to it and just the process as a whole because I think so much of these industries are leading to not only the watering down of art but also the self-destruction in so many ways of the industries um, from which they started. Film got its start uh, by producing stories that people enjoyed or wanted to see on the silver screen they couldn't see at home or they couldn't tell around their respective campfires so many, uh, so many, in so many ways. Um, you know, big blockbuster fare was at the heart of so much even at the very beginning of you know, the cinema-going experience with David Lean's films, with, you know, major blockbusters like Gone with the Wind. You know, you've got, uh, you know, Ben-Hur. You've got uh, Dr. Zhivago. Bridge on the River Kwai, even even films that today probably would not get a lot of critical uh, acclaim, like Cleopatra and the like, those films were made because people wanted to have uh, fare that was enjoyed as escapism. And it was art. The, the effort was there to try to immerse the viewers in a place that, for lack of a better phrase, was long gone centuries ago. They were trying to turn the clock back is what was happening. And then, you know, obviously with the emergence of projects like Jaws and Star Wars and so many other films like that, we saw a shift where people outside of the film industry spaces realized that these could be, for lack of a better phrase, glorified commercials for consumer wear merchandising, licensing, and the like. And I was talking to someone about this the other day that I think it was actually uh, in The Toys That Made Us that I saw this, that documentary uh, series on Netflix, which is a fascinating series about the toy industry. But I believe there was uh, 
segment or there was an episode about the Masters of the Universe line, He-Man and Skeletor and all those characters, and how there was a lot of pushback by parents and organizations because they felt that that animated series, Masters of the Universe, was nothing more than a commercial for kids and that cartoons should not be made just to sell toys. Now in 2023 and for the last couple of decades, you cannot get a series greenlit for the most part unless you can have a toy line or if you have a toy line or some merchandising in, involved with it or as an extension of that or expansion of that um, you can pretty much forget that show being made it's less likely that series or show is going to be made unless there's really a lot of uh, viable options commercially for for those uh, producers for those filmmakers for those animators and the like it's really, really sad, but that's just the reality that we're in today. And so in this space and in this place and in this time where art is not really tied to, let's just say, uh, higher goals, uh, you know, a sense of celebrating the divine, as I mentioned before, with the Ottoman Empire in the past and how they actually not just the Ottoman Empire, but so many places in the Muslim world, they actually produced art to celebrate the divine and to recognize the miracles of life. Those things have stood the test of time. Other things, they just <clears throat> they just don't stand the test of time because it's all driven by commercial efforts and interests. Um, very, very interesting. One point before I move on about AI. In the Ottoman Empire and some other places... The printing press, the Gutenberg printing press, was not allowed to be used for about 300 years because the leaders in that in that place and in that time were concerned that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the artisans would lose their jobs. And so, basically, to protect those people who had developed these skills and these professions from um, losing their livelihoods technology advancements in science were f intentionally slowed down and i think it was a wise decision because it allowed people to get up to speed eventually and find other ways to do things ai is not going to really allow us to do much of that and we'll talk to james about that next week because i heard a fascinating discussion um from uh, a group of people who were talking about the advent of ai the impact of ai and all the elements tied to ai and how it's really having a major, major uh, impact, or it will have a major impact on how art is produced and what happens on so many different projects. And I feel like the industry as a whole, publishing, uh, when it comes to comics, what have you, they're all going to embrace it fully because for them, it's again about the bottom line. If they can do it cheaply, more, um, you know, swiftly, uh, if there's an expediency there that they can incorporate into the mix, they're going to do it. And Hollywood will follow suit. Believe me, Hollywood will follow suit. It's just like uh, 3D. You look at uh, James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water. Again, a film I really didn't care for from a storytelling perspective. Uh, pretty mundane, uh, generic, but technically incredibly well rendered. The 3D is the best we've ever seen. There are already trailers for and announcements for projects coming up this year in 3D. Why? Because people are like, oh, okay, James Cameron made this incredible thing in 3D. We can do the same thing. It's all about the 3D. We're not recognizing that there are certain things that go into the mix of a work like The Way of Water from a technical perspective 
that really separate it from the masses. And so, again, everyone's looking for the quick buck. And that leads me to the Oscars, because I think that the one other element that we haven't talked about is political agendas. That's really at the heart of so many of these things uh, in Hollywood as a whole. I mentioned this last week, that there's definitely a left-wing, you know, very liberal, hyper-liberal bent to so many of the films in Hollywood. And again, so much of this tied to the fact that um, when you are a wealthy individual, when you are somebody of the upper class, the more, you know, day-to-day concerns, the quote-unquote mundane uh, things that go into one's life that one has to address don't really matter because everything's taken care of. You have the home, you have the food, you have the uh, status, you have the ability to travel from here and there, you have access to people that no one else does. You uh, are able to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, uh, attract the the more attractive individuals from uh, a physical perspective that you maybe didn't have access to before because of the money and resources you have. Basically, access is so elevated that their interest and attention starts being drawn to things which really probably aren't at the forefront of most people's minds around the globe. But for them, it becomes the uh, primary cause they should be rallying around because they've already gotten everything else addressed. So it's not really tied to concern for other people. It's more about uh, looking at themselves and saying, okay, what is something that you know I feel might be of interest or concern because I have everything And so let me turn my attention to something that really doesn't get much attention. And that's what so much of the progressive liberal left is about. It's about focusing on things that only a select few are interested in. And also, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, celebrations of lifestyle and the like, you know, particularly uh, the lifestyles of the elite, uh, so many films are made about problems and issues that the average person in most walks of life will never have to deal with or a question will never arise about something uh, related to that storyline. Because again, it's it's a storyline of and about the elites because they have problems that other people don't. It's it's basically tied to this notion of um, they have the luxury of being able to look at things that other people don't have uh, time to look at If you're working nine to five or nine to eight or you're working two or three jobs and with inflation where it is right now and how much it is just to eat out, you know, it's like 50, 60 bucks for three people to eat out every single time, even getting pizza is expensive now. You're not really concerned about some of the, uh, let's let's say, less mainstream concerns of other people. Um, And maybe even addressing those things Um, believe me, if you're living in a society in which you're being blown to smithereens or your family can't get food to eat, you're not really going to be worrying about certain uh, privileges or rights or concerns that only a very select few are concerned about. And so that's what, you know, Hollywood is driven by. That's what uh, comes into play in so many ways. It's it's a very agenda-driven environment and place. And yes, they do have an impact on culture as a whole because 
at some level, those things become part of the mainstream. And I always go back to that movie, The Devil Wears Prada. And I, you know, I saw that movie and, and I remember thinking there was no way I was going to be interested in anything in that movie because I'm not interested in the fashion industry. But Meryl Streep's character <clears throat> in that movie made some incredibly insightful comments about art in modern times. And basically what she was saying is that on the runway, so many of these strange, odd, you know, garish outfits that no one would wear in their right mind, you would think, eventually become part of the mainstream through those initial introductions. And what I think has happened is that many people in these places and spaces have come to recognize that a fringe thought or idea, if it's injected into you know, something or presented at a particular place in time, it may not be embraced by the masses, but the shock value or the shock, uh, the shocking nature, I should say, of that particular uh, approach or item or thing, um, once it's less shocking, it's more readily embraced by other people. You look at tattoos, that's another really good example. 30, 40 years ago, tattoos were the most taboo thing. It was only a slight... A group of people who were getting tattoos and it was definitely not mainstream people but now you look at the mix and so many people are getting tattoos I would say probably in my opinion 30 you know 30 percent to 40 percent of the people have tattoos somewhere a small little tattoo what have you that was definitely not the case before and again that became the case because it was introduced and then it was introduced again and then People are always looking for the new, and that's what happens when you have access to so much. The more access you have to creature comforts, the more you need, um, well, not more you need, but the more access you have to creature comforts, um, the more inclined you are to try to find new uh, stimuli because you already have access to what everybody else has, and so you're looking for that rarefied space and place where things exist that most people don't have access to. So you always go for the the fringe items out there. And that's what we're seeing in Hollywood. We've been, we've been seeing this not just in Hollywood, but, but in so many places throughout the history of mankind. People always gravitate towards that. Man, I got off on a tangent, <laughs> a huge tangent. Um, that's what happens when I don't have James on. I kind of take the baton and run off and run with these things. Uh, I did want to talk about briefly the Oscar Awards, the Academy Awards. And, and James and I, uh, we talked about this off the air, and I'm not going to steal his thunder about what type of proposals we were putting forward to really address so much of this, because I think that the Academy Awards should not be a competition. James and I talked about that actually last week, that if it's really sincerely a celebration of art, then make it a celebration of art. And we have uh, ways and means of doing that. And... I'm not going to, again, steal James's thunder. I'll let him explain the process. But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to, um, you know, make some comments about this to the Critics' Choice Association because someone has to get the ball rolling. I have some ideas there. Um, and let's see if we can actually return these awards, uh, ceremonies, and the like into real celebrations of creative efforts versus competitions. And that leads me to To Leslie and the Andrea Riseborough situation. To Leslie is a film um, that has only made, I think, about 20, at least at the time of the 
Academy Award nomination for Andrea Riseborough for Best Actress, um, it's only, it had only made, I think, $27,000, which is an insanely small amount of money for any film. Um, Andrea Riseborough decided to take uh, the bull by the horns herself. Evidently, she hired a PR firm to help uh, get the word out about her film. And she had a lot of connections with quite a few uh, actors who were able to get the word out for her. And uh, they included uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, I believe, according to the According to the trades, uh, you had um, Kate Blanchett. You had a couple other people coming out there and actually using their platforms to actually get support for her film and for her performance. And what I find problematic, I think this is actually almost like the end game to some degree. Look, you can make an argument that she you know, did what she needed to do to get the nomination. Everyone can promote themselves. But... The idea of, you know, these film award nominations following suit uh, or following the approach as far as, uh, you know, say politics are concerned, we, we're too much driven by uh, campaigning. This campaigning and having people in these places who have huge uh, social media platforms leveraging all that to... To be honest with you, in my opinion, taking a well-deserved spot away from someone like uh, Danielle Deadweiler for Till uh, is terrible. It's a horrible thing um, because, again, um, in Hollywood there is uh, a certain level of ranking, so to speak, that's contingent on access. It's contingent on race to a huge extent as well, and. Certain people have access to certain other places because of who they are and where they come from and what their ethnic backgrounds are. And I'm not saying that this is definitely the case as a whole here because I'd have to learn more about everything related to it, but it does not look good. I'll put it that way. Because Danielle Deadweiler um, did not have that opportunity. You know, she just does not have the access that someone like um, Andrea Riseborough has because they have the opportunity to uh, be in those places, those country club spaces that other people don't have. And those people have huge platforms. Again, it's kind of like, um, you know, the masters, you know, you're not allowed into the club unless you do something and then you're allowed in. But the problem is that so many of the places and spaces and um, areas where someone could get access to, this environment are contingent on things that are based on, um, unfortunately, race and social status. And if you don't have, um, you know, those <laughs> uh, check marked, if you don't uh, fall into those groups, you're not going to get that access. And so you don't have that access and you're not going to get that opportunity to promote yourself. It's really problematic. So I think that this situation with uh, Andrea Riseborough and Two Leslie is going to really, hopefully, force Hollywood as a whole to really look at some of the things they're doing. Maybe. I mean, that might be too much to ask because Hollywood is all about who you are and who you have access to. And I would say, at least from my perspective, 50 to 60% of, if not 70% of the jobs out there could be done 
much better by people who just don't have access to the right people. So much of these positions and these jobs are given to friends and colleagues who just have access for a variety of different reasons. They're in the in-club and the other people are not in the in-club. That's the way it works. And so it's not really based on talent. So that's kind of the way the industry rolls. And maybe it's too much to ask or expect that something like this will have them to reflect. Because remember, the people at the top in these industries, they are never going to step aside and say, listen, you know what? Let's let the person who has more talent or more ability take the lead here. No, they're going to protect their positions, their territories. And so much of this is territorial. And so we might not see many changes here. But I think that what might help to some degree in some way, form or fashion, honestly, is at least changing the way the game is played to some degree to make this less of a competition to make this more of a true celebration of um, so many of the uh, things that should be celebrated when it comes to art, when it comes to filmmaking, when it comes to animation, when it comes to acting and the like. I think that's where we are right now. We really need to get to that space and place. And it may require a changing of the rules. So next week when James comes on, we're going to talk about that. But I have to say I was so, even though I know the way the world works in that uh, realm uh, that fantasy realm known as Hollywood even though I knew that there were going to be some disappointing nominations the fact that Daniel Deadwiler did not get nominated for Till I think is a horrible horrible omission one of the worst I've seen in decades and the other thing I wanted to make note of as we head out is I truly believe that one of the reasons why aside from the fact that you know there were these connections that she did not get that nomination is because Till, which is a movie about the murder of Emmett Till and how her mother fought for him on so many fronts. The reason that film was not celebrated was because we, as a society, do not like films that remind us of our deepest terrible sins, especially those that we don't want to recognize. You know, those sins that we want to kind of push under the rug. And so this film was a stark reminder, not only in what was happening in the film, but what has happened since then. Um, because one of the murderers of Emmett Till has still not uh, been prosecuted to this day. And she could have been prosecuted. And last year, uh, the decision was made not to move that case forward. We are still in a place in space where racism is alive and well, unfortunately. And we don't want to recognize it. And so a film like this, it's very difficult, for whatever reason, uh, to recognize certain crimes that we have committed. And I mentioned this to somebody last night, and as we had, I think this is so true. Germany and Hitler. Hitler was one of the worst war criminals we've ever seen. The Germans admitted and accepted what they had done, and they owned up to it. And now, in 2023, when you think of Germany, the first thing that comes to mind is not Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, because they owned their sins and until we get to that point we're never going to be able to move beyond this and I think that the recognition or the lack of recognition I should say of this performance by Danielle Deadweiler there's some connective tissue there you're listening to Fictional Frontiers with Sohei we'll catch you next week when we have James back on be safe and uh, thanks for letting me rant <laughs>